Welcome to the Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, LA, and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holden Graber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello? Hello. Is this Paul Haller? Yes, it is. Thank you, Paul, for spending time with us today. This is your old friend, Naomi Shihab Nye, and we are so honored to feature an interview with you today on the wonderful Quarantine Tape series. Uh, we are also grateful to Onassis, Los Angeles, and Dub Lab for sponsoring this series throughout the past year. Paul Holden Graber, the regular interviewer on this series, has conducted 175 interviews, and we are very happy to welcome you aboard. Um, Paul, could you please share with us where you are and how you've been spending time and where this past year? Hmm. Where I am right now is I, I'm sitting in, in my own house, which is across the street from the San Francisco Zen Center. And I'm actually sitting in the room that I usually meditate in while I can't go across the street to the Zen Center to meditate there. But when from last March to last June, I, was, uh, I stayed in our monastery, which I was leading the winter practice period there. And I stayed there until June. And so that was quite removed from all the dramas and social distancing uh, of the COVID virus. And then I came to San Francisco. And I remember the first day I got here and I stood in line outside the local grocery store with a mask on. And it had this strange, ominous feeling. But now I'm quite accustomed to it. And uh, this is how life is. At this point, how do you feel about Zoom connections with your community there in San Francisco and your various Zen Buddhist communities around the world, in Belfast, in Slovenia, other places. How has that been for you? In some ways, it has suited me just fine, you know, be, being an introvert. And, you know, usually in, in the last decade or so, I've spent quite a bit of time each year away from home, uh, sometimes five months away. And, and so having a whole year of just staying home is, is a real treat. And, uh, and then also having this daily connection, as you said, just across the globe and connecting. And I find the visuals quite informative. What, what do you mean by the visuals? By being able to see who I'm talking to and as they talk, being able to watch the expression on their face. Uh, a little ironic that that's not what's happening right now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> yes, it is. It's perfectly fine, Naomi. I, I find it easy to conjure up an image of you. And when I hear your laugh and I, I can imagine all the associated gestures and, and glances that it come along with it. Well, it has been 
fascinating to think about the many ways in which people have responded to the increased isolation. Um, I know in the past, during our shared summer workshops at Tassajara, uh, many of the poetry and meditation participants have interviewed some of the Zen Buddhist residents, students who, who were there, and asked them what originally drew them to Zen Buddhism and the practice. And a common theme has often been suffering, uh, suffering in daily life, um, growing up, all of the difficulties. Um, so I've thought a lot this year about how there are certain communities of people who might have been better equipped to deal with all this difficult year. Do you think that has been true among the communities you know? Oh, very much so. I mean, within our community, I was just saying to Christian, and within our community, no one has contracted the virus and no one and no one has died. Although we all have many friends and family who've contracted it and, and died. So that's that capacity to just stay within the protocols that are demanded by safety and social distancing is something we've been able to adhere to. And then the sense of community, even though it's just over Zoom, that has also been a great support for us. We, we meet each morning at nine o'clock, what we call work meeting. It's a time for announcements within our community and then anything that might be impacting us uh, shared commiserations about mass shootings or social injustice. Um, so we do that every day, except Sunday. So there is that interweaving of support and presence with each other. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating that no one at the Zen Center has had the, had the disease, had COVID. It suggests to me that the discipline, which I've always associated with Zen Buddhism, the incredible care for one another, uh, the, the delicacy of, of being, very precise uh, ways of being, that that has really served everyone. How many people are in residence there right now? Well, at City Center, we have about 45, and then at Green Gulch, we have about 50, and then at Tassajara, somewhere between 15 and 20. That's a lot of people. Yes. And, and that's an amazing statistic. Um, Paul, what do you feel we all might be learning as a society right now? Listening to some of your Dharma talks this year, I have really felt comforted uh, by the suggestion that uh, there is immense good coming out of such a difficult time. Yeah, last weekend, I've, I have been vaccinated now and gone through my two weeks probation. And I had dinner with with some friends and we were all marvelous. We started in the afternoon, but we actually went to late into the night uh, just chatting. And, and we were all marveling at how wonderful it was to just sit down and and talk and talk and in, in someone else's presence. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of appreciation and what a gift it is and how much we mean to each other. Mm. Like I find within our community, uh, somehow within this social configuration of social distancing, 
they're having more impact. You know that in a strange way they feel closer to home. You know, mm. like uh, last week, uh, one of the members of our community is Japanese American. Actually, he was born in Japan,、um, and he was accosted less than a block from Zen Center, uh, and it, nothing happened. You know, someone just made a derogatory remark at his appearance. You know, being Japanese American, and when he shared it with the community,、uh, it was very—it was palpable how much it, it it affected us, how impacted we all were. That one of our beloved would, f- for this kind of odd, you know, prejudice. Anyway, to my mind, an odd prejudice that 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 would come forth. Right on our doorstep, almost.、Mm. Well, you're so correct in thinking that、uh, a kind of human、um, empathy, tenderness seems more more enhanced now. And having people at one's own table or being with others at their table, we also experience that for the first time this very week with people from out of town and therefore out of our little pod. But we'd all been vaccinated. And while passing the first plate of food around the table, I almost felt like weeping. It just felt like such an exotic act to、mm. hand food to a friend who whom I hadn't been seeing all the time. It was something new, something fresh, and that pleasure in company felt、uh, very much greater than it might have otherwise. The role of silence has been. So enlarged in all of our lives, I've read so many accounts of people saying they didn't speak to anyone for days,、uh, not even the checker at the grocery store because they didn't go out.、Uh, they didn't feel any sense of interaction with others, and how they've managed to survive that and learn from it. I would think that all the Zen Buddhist practitioners were probably better equipped. To deal with、mm. a sense of the richness of silence <laughs> than others might be. I didn't know when I was thinking、uh, yesterday. I, I was realizing, you know, something that that in my mind connects to you and to William Stafford.、Um, I get up very early in the dark of night, or before the dawn, and I sit, and I sit in almost the darkness. And it reminded me of you know when I was about six years old, I, I started going to mass, and that somehow I had just some part of me, on, almost on a cellular level, has this practice of get up early and bear witness to that spare life that happens at that time, you know, that sort of the inner world grows. To because of the invitation of the quiet and the dark,、um, and that has been a great support to me. And I was thinking of you in particular,、uh, and William Stafford. You know, of listening to you saying how he had this long history of getting up early, and I have this image of him lying on his back and holding his notepad in the air. To me, it, it represents a kind of、um, writing on and writing in the the spaciousness of quiet. 
Mm. And and that for me has become a um, very palpable event, you know. And then being home and connecting to this place, this physical place, like this morning, uh, as the first light was hitting uh, my garden at the back, this big burly bee was uh, buzzing around on the flowers. And we happened to have beehives up on the, across the street on top of the building, the Zen Center. And we have a, a, a European bee, which is smaller and, uh, and this bee was twice the size. But just to notice those sorts of things. Right. That, that, that the, somehow the quiet and the solitude, then uh, when the world comes alive, it's, it's more noticeable. Mm. I love picturing the European bee with a tiny little passport. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> that's an interesting image, Paul. And I also love picturing you as a very Catholic child, very filled with devotional aptitude and presence, going to the church in Belfast regularly. Didn't you say every day you went to every church day. as a child? I mean, it's very rare for a child to go to church every day because you wanted to. And I also love thinking about how you made those transitions in your own life. But I'm curious, as a child in Belfast, did you have periods of quarantine due to things that were happening in the city where you were told not to go out, not to go to certain neighborhoods, for different reasons, of course? Yeah, yeah for different reasons. Well, there was a time when, when, when things became tumultuous. And actually, I, I grew up in the inner city and in our neighborhood for about a maybe eight block area. There, there was, it, it was barricaded off and declared as a free entity, you know, mm. and, and the police and the army couldn't come in. So we, we had a different kind of quarantine. And then within, within the neighborhood, you know, to think that a six-year-old could wander a couple of blocks to the church, and that, that's perfectly fine, you know. There, there is no uh, trepidation or concern about their welfare. And, and it was a different kind of safety people were um, occupied with, you know, worrying about safety, but a whole different kind of safety. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Did you have a lot of memories you hadn't had in a long time because of, you know, not having to travel, spend time in airports, be in transit? Do you feel that many thoughts occurred because you were more physically in two places this year, Tassajara and your home? Mm. Oh, very much so. Like uh, my, like just that, that would, the way that my mind would connect what I'm doing now in the early morning with what I did when I was a child and, and some version of that through most of my life. Thoughts like that, um, I have two grown children, they're both in their 30s and my daughter has now two grandkids. That, that sense of family and keeping close connection to my family in Belfast and, and friends, Frankie being the main one, uh, the, the, that's become more alive. Just the same way, as I was mentioning, when our, 
when our sangha, when our community heard of one of our members being accosted and insulted because of his appearance, his Japanese appearance, uh, the same kind of sensitivities growing with, within me towards uh, not just my community, but also my own family members and friends. Now those have been tenderized. And then a spacious perspective on who I am and what I'm doing. Like in this time, I've been asking myself, not in an intentional way, but more existential questions. What am I doing? Mm. What am I going to do with the rest of this life? Yes. You know, and simple questions like that. <laughs> basic questions. Yes. Well, two, two of my questions I had written down, you know, in some ways I think it was easier for us this year to feel close, close proximity to our global friends, because this was a global pandemic. It was the first thing that affected everybody in all countries, you know, other than maybe environmental concerns and so forth, which also affect everyone. But we were all having anxieties and experiences around this same thing. And being friends with the same Frankie you mentioned, our friend Frankie Liddy of the of the Zen Center there in Belfast, uh, you know, hearing from him regularly what was happening, uh, what they were doing. It, it, there was a sense of closeness in some ways to more people. And, and two simple, basic questions that I've felt myself coming back to, as you mentioned, are what are people hungry for? What are mm. people lonely for? Is there anything you'd say about those in addition, this wonderful paradox, in, in addition to savoring the solitude, then the, the global reach of Zoom uh, and, and being able to conduct classes and, and meditations over Zoom, I guess, I, I think hungry for intimacy, hungry for that, that way as humans, we, we can positively influence each other and support each other. So certainly hungry for that. And, and then I think it does incline us towards a deeper appreciation and a deeper questioning of what we're doing and an attention to it. That's what I find for myself, you know, just like noticing that bee hmm. as the first light for the sunlight hit those flowers and just finding a rhythm within my day and then being able to do that collectively. I find there's a hunger for that too. Yes. That is, as, as we're more contained in our activities, that that aspect of Zen, which is where the everyday activity is almost ritualized, it becomes a, a precious event, something we give our attention to. Yes. I love that you use the word ritualized. I've always felt that even sweeping that Tassahara becomes ritualized and you appreciate every little motion of care throughout the day. And surely, since we haven't been rushing around so much, we've had more time to apprehend that, appreciate it. Paul, your appreciation for poetry and for art has been longstanding in your life. And I wonder if you've uh, read more poems this year Possibly we're on the brink of National Poetry Month. Of course, poets <laughs> believe every month is National Poetry Month. But um, have you 
felt yourself turning to any favorite poems and felt those lines rising up uh, with with new new light in them? I, I have um, in, in reflection on home, which, which I've been doing recently. Um, I've been thinking of some of John O'Donoghue's writings, you know, and then before that, I, I was, you know, one of the things I like about David White's poems is that I think of them as kind of muscular in their questioning, you know, and 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 for a while I would read one of his, and then there's a little book that he has where he he offers a reflection, a couple of paragraphs, and and so I've been reading those. Um, and then on a similar vein, uh, uh, looking at some of Rilke's poems, you know, somehow my penchant uh, seems to be towards the existential, you know, and I find uh, all three of them have a common theme, even though each of them, to my mind, has a different character. Beautiful ways to describe those. I love your use of muscular for the David White poems, because I do often feel they are, they're a call, they're, they're a vigorous wake-up call when you read his poems. And, and John O'Donohue, such a beloved voice. I know you and I both treasure the works of William Merwin, and I've been reading him. I've kept his books on my, mm. my desk the whole year. And one poem I've come back to, um, many times is William Merwin's poem, To the Book, where he's speaking about a book going out into the world. And it also made me think about like Zen koan stories that go out into the world and are repeated and discussed and interpreted by so many different people. But the poem starts to the book by W.S. Merwin. Go on then in your own time. This is as far as I will take you. And then in the second stanza, he says, of course you are not finished. How can you be finished? When the morning begins again, or the moon rises, even the words are not finished, though they may claim to be. Mm. Um, and then it, the poem goes, you know, I felt I could open any Merwin book, any place, any hour, any day, and find something to guide me or something to make me think anew. Um, would you say that this just consideration of of lines of poetry plays an important role in in your own daily life? I would, and you know, when you were quoting there, I was I was thinking of how amazing that in Northern Ireland, Seamus Heaney's a line from his poem, "If we can winter here," and and this was as the pandemic was at its fiercest there, and and that line that says. If we can winter here, we can summer anywhere. And that became the slogan of, of Northern Ireland. I just thought this is amazing. You know, a line of poetry becomes the, the collective expression of, of a community's attitude to their hardship. That's beautiful. I've also loved the Buddhist phrase, right now it's like this. And I've kept that on my desk the, the whole year, as well as the German phrase, vinegar aber besser, less but better. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and another card I've, I've looked at over and over again, it, some friends sent me from Sun Valley, Idaho, and it just says on the front of the card, it's like looking up into a night sky, there is a bit of magic in everything. 
Mm. Um, could we just close our conversation? And thank you so much for being with us, Paul Haller. Um, with you talking about um, the magic of possibility, we're all given every single day and how this past mm. year has mm. possibly um, enhanced that mm. along with all of its difficulties, sorrows, and traumas. Mm. And thank you so much for all you do, Paul. Oh, thank you, Naomi, for your magic. Um, a couple of years ago, when I was teaching in Northern Ireland, I put together four colloquialisms. And the first one is, uh, hold your horses, uh, catch yourself on, wind your neck back in. And the, the notion of pause, notice, appreciate. You know? And hold your horses would be pause. And then um, <laughs> catch yourself on and uh, is notice who you are, what you are. And then wind your neck back in. It's like when you're being adamant and determined, you kind of stick your chin out. Like, why come back to yourself? Mm. And, and I have found that translating over. And I do find that pause, you know, whether it's, formal meditation in the morning or the reverie that I think you go through as you surround yourself with um, the jewels of literary being or William Stafford's, uh, I think of almost mystical, you know, writing on the air mm. or, or even uh, some of Seamus Heaney's, you know, despite your better judgment, walk on water. Ah. <laughs> Um, and I think that's one of the inner gifts that, that this virus has given us. And now as, as the wheel turns, you know, how will we give it back? You know, this is very much the image of Buddhism, you know, that receiving and giving are intertwined, you know, that they, if, if it's only one way, um, something is missing. It can't find its balance, the giving and receiving. The Buddha saying is, giver, receiver, and gift, the wheel of life. Thank you so much for your gifts, Paul. Oh, thank you, Naomi. To support this show and Dublab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com slash support. 